Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new to the Meta Business Podcast, what we do here is we cover the biggest Metaverse topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this Metaverse industry. Jeff, how you doing this week? I'm doing good. I'm uh, battle, battling here. Got a little <laughs> little uh, case of the COVID. So, you know, if I start second coughing time. in the middle, you know, second time. Second, and I've podcasted through both of them. So, you did, uh, you did. You know, Admirable. The, the Metaverse news never stops. And so we will true. always be here no matter what. Um, but yeah, definitely. You can probably hear it in my voice a little bit congested, but we just have so much going on that, you know, I couldn't take a week off. You never know who, who would even get to replace me. Like, I, I, I don't know <laughs> if there's anyone who could. I mean, I mean, really the juice, no one can replace the juice. That's just the reality of it. Just like no one can replace the profit. You can't replace greatness like that. Sure. I will say congratulations, by the way, 12 this is episode 12 and every episode has been the audience has been bigger than the last so uh, thank you all for uh, tuning in every week we really appreciate it uh, i know i've got a lot of great feedback from people that you guys are really loving the content and jeff and i really love doing it so jeff let's jump into some uh metaverse news this week i think i have to start with it's it's maybe become sort of this show's uh hallmark i would say is I've got to jump into something that's uh, maybe the most important metaverse news this week. <laughs> Never mind the five billion dollars of investment or five and a half billion dollars of investment. This story definitely took the cake for me. And the headline here is "Faith in the Metaverse: A Quest for Community and Fellowship." And the article is talking about how um, some churches, and in this case, they were using uh, a Mormon church as an example that some churches are turning to the metaverse and VR as a way to deliver service services to their congregation. So uh, it says here, ranging from spiritual meditations and fantasy worlds to traditional Christian worship services with virtual sacraments in hyper-realistic church-like environments, their devotees says, say the experience offers a version of fellowship that's just as genuine as what can be found at a brick and mortar temple. Um, and then they, they have a quote here, which was the most, I liked it. The most important aspect to me, which was very real was the closer connection with God that I felt in my short time here. This is uh, the quote from the founder of something called uh, uh, from VR church, which was founded in 2016 by DJ Soto, a former high school teacher and pastor. And, and there's images here, which if you're watching, if you're listening, unfortunately, you can't see it, but images here of some of the virtual worlds and pastor DJ Soto, who started VR church. I'm curious, Jeff short, you know, we won't spend too much time on this, but as we see, and we, I think we've used the first story now in almost every episode as it is a great example of the metaverse and VR and these concepts infiltrating aspects of our lives that maybe we wouldn't expect. Where do you put worship and church on this list of sort of 
uh, did you expect the metaverse to get there that soon? <laughs> you know, oh, you would it makes sense. That- we're going to have religions in the. I'm I'm interested more to see you know the first metaverse only religion or something like a metaverse <laughs> cult, uh, which maybe would be more more exciting. Um, but the, you know, this is this is actually. I, I think this is sort of a creative way for you know this this church to reach out to a, a larger congregation. I mean, we've seen in the in the '90s and early 2000s, and even now, like televangelists have made hundreds of millions of dollars, like broadcasting on on, on TV and getting in front of a bigger audience. Um, a lot of them, I would say, are a little bit sleazy and maybe frauds, but um, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I bet this is going to catch on. And it could bring in a new audience or, or a younger demographic to the church than, than maybe you, you, you typically see. Uh, so kudos to, to the church for, for kind of being innovative. Um, but yeah, I, I'm waiting for the first metaverse cult. I think that's going to be going to be interesting. The, the Branch Davidians of the of the metaverse or something like that will be entertaining. Well, the good news is if you drink the Kool-Aid in the metaverse, you'll, you'll be fine. Right? That's, that's, <laughs> Your avatar that's will the, only die. Yeah, your your avatar may suffer, but you'll you'll be fine. Um, no, but seriously, like from a business standpoint, I think one of the reasons the business of of religion has declined in years, right? Like attendance, things like that, right? Some of the the specific numbers around religion have declined, um, is because at least anecdotally, I think there's this sort of barrier, right? Which is you have to go, and it's only on a Sunday morning, and and, you know, if you don't make it for that one hour, you, you sort of miss, I'm talking in this case, Catholic church, but, you know, all religions sort of have this schedule around, around services and things like that. But does the metaverse potentially bring religion back in a serious way or bring maybe people who had not considered religion before back as sort of a customer because it's so easily accessible, right? I can be in my, I can be in my underwear on my couch on a yeah. Tuesday evening and I don't have to put my suit on on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I mean, I guess talking a little more abstractly, we're definitely we're talking about religion a little bit as a business, which is which is interesting. Um, but I think just in general, <laughs> fair. I, I think just in in general, when you whenever you widen distribution and create more accessibility and engagement, you're going to see sort of metrics like that go up, and you're going to see people coming more often and and getting more involved and kind of widening the distribution. So. Short answer, yes. Um, do I think this is going to change religion as we know it? Probably probably not. But I think someone like this is, is innovative and could find a little bit of a following and, and, and certainly grow their, their congregation more than they would, if you will. It's funny. And the one, the last, I'll, I'll, I'll end on this and then we'll move on. But if you look at every pop culture kind of portrayal of the metaverse, um, whether it's a book or a movie, for the most part, there's always a, you know, a messianic or like a worshipped figure who's sort of like the master of the metaverse, so to speak, um, like a Christ-like figure, whether you're talking about sort of like the Matrix or Ready Player One or, you know, all these modern portrayals of what we might call metaverses. It's interesting because I wonder if that's where we do end up, right? You, Are you, you saying know, that someone's going like to create, someone's going to create a religion around that figure? Yeah. Or, you know, some, someone who's a leader in this, in the, in these virtual worlds, because they're either a leader of a company yeah. or whatever becomes almost like a, a religious figure who is worshiped if they have some, some hand in the creation of this metaverse, right? Yeah. That you, you almost create a potentially messianic figure 
because we're creating a whole new universe, a whole new world, right? Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how, you know, traditional religions compete in the same way a lot of traditional industries will have to compete. Um, let's move on to McDonald's. McDonald's in the news. And, and you know, we talked about McDonald's in the... <laughs> in the context of Elon Musk, if you remember. Uh, but this McDonald's story I thought was interesting. And the headline here is McDonald's files trademark for metaverse-based virtual restaurant. So they've applied for a trademark for virtual goods, services, and virtual restaurants and cafes. Um, you know, their expectation, I guess, is that they will need to operate potentially McDonald's restaurants in virtual world. So they want to make sure they own the name. This follows Panera's filing for Paneraverse um, and other big companies like Nike, Walmart, Skechers, who have all made similar filings in the past. It says here, uh, this in this Forbes article, it says, when you see this critical mass of large companies making this many new trademark filings, it's very clear this is coming. Do you buy this, uh, Jeff? One of the things here says, you know, Every brand's going to make a filing like this within the next 12 months. So, First of all, do you buy that piece of it? I, I think I sort of, I do buy that. I mean, you know, every, anytime you use words like every, it's, it's hard to necessarily get on board with that, but you're seeing this a hundred percent. It's a, it, brands are moving to the metaverse. Totally believe that. And I, I'll sort of give a little bit of both sides to the story. Cause I kind of see both sides on on one hand, I mean, it's it's a little bit like when the internet first started. I mean, every brand needed to eventually create a website. Some did it early. Some waited until very late. But you needed, if you were a brand, you needed some sort of presence on the World Wide Web. If we assume that the metaverse is the next iteration of the World Wide Web, the internet, every brand will need some sort of presence in the metaverse. I think I buy that. That's a logical argument. The problem that where it breaks down for me is... With a brand like McDonald's, like I just don't see like brands like Nike, brands like Under Armour, something where you're selling clothing, digital items, something people wear to, to represent themselves. We've talked about this a lot. I'm fully on board with that. I think that makes all the sense in the world that people are going to want to kind of show their show off their avatars, wear things. In terms of eating food in the metaverse, like I I'm not sure. I see a need to eat food in a digital world. Like you, you, you don't, digital worlds do not have the same constraints as physical worlds. We don't really need to consume food in order to have our avatar walk around and be in the world. Maybe that will change with, there will be resource management, stuff like that. I kind of hope it doesn't because, you know, I just don't think it's a constraint we need to add into the world in the metaverse. Um, and even with McDonald's, it's like, it's a, it's a fast casual restaurant or not even fast, it's fast food. Like there's nothing sexy about eating McDonald's. Like if this was some five-star restaurant wanted to create like a really cool virtual experience of like going to like a Michelin star restaurant, I think I could get on board with that too. But there's just like nothing cool about going to a McDonald's and eating a Big Mac. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Well, look, uh, on our sister podcast, Business of Esports, we often have this argument of like, Esports teams pretending to be media companies and lifestyle brands, right? Could you make the argument that this is McDonald's going, we're more than just fast food, we're kind of a lifestyle brand, right? And therefore, we need to have a presence in the metaverse that is, that is, you know, branded McDonald's. And, and 
so that's my first sort of counter argument is could you argue that Panera and McDonald's are are actually lifestyle brands? And I'm sure the people in those marketing departments want to believe that they are right. And and we could think that's silly and we could think that's totally off base because it's they're fundamentally just the Egg McMuffin and Big Mac company. But like they may see themselves as lifestyle brands and how they fit into people's lives may translate to the metaverse. And it may not be about selling a burger in the metaverse, but it may be about selling McDonald's branded whatever or giving away McDonald's branded whatever. The bigger sort of implication I saw from this is, and and you brought up a great point, in the early days of the dot-com era, right, of web, what we're calling even web Web one, one. right? (laughs) Just web. most companies didn't go and like immediately secure their business name.com, right? The, the, the reality is a lot of companies were actually quite slow to doing that because they didn't see the value. I see this interesting trend here where companies don't want to make that mistake sort of again, right? And there's, there's a couple implications there, which I think are interesting. One, you're going to get a lot of squatters, right? Who, listen to this podcast or read this news and go, wait a second. Now I'm going to go and try and squat on a whole bunch of, you know, names in the metaverse. That was my first thought. And then my second thought immediately after was, but wait a second, like what this means fundamentally is that all the real estate conversations we've been having in the metaverse, right. Are sort of meaningless that the trademark here is way more valuable than owning a virtual person piece of land like a dot com to me is like real estate it's a virtual piece of land that you own and no one else can own right but putting up something that looks like a mcdonald's in the metaverse you'd have to buy all the land to stop someone from putting that up the trademark happens to be kind of a legal shortcut here that protects them from all metaverses right whether it's decentraland or sandbox so that they don't need to necessarily go make plays in each of these metaverses today they know long term they've protected their trademark in this general application i see what you're saying i mean we kind of need jimmy on here to to bring the the legal (laughs) you know to dive deeper into the legal workings like i don't know how that would actually work um i guess what you're saying is the brand is more important than than kind of the having the real estate or 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 you know, them being first to market there. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is I think the brands are going to have an easier time on one hand, protecting their, their brands in the metaverse. And on the other hand, have a harder time because this is far more decentralized than, than the, the web is right. Like the web has only one McDonald's.com. Right. Whereas yep. in, 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 in the metaverse today or this environment today, you're saying there'll be multiple McDonald's in each metaverse. There's 50 different metaverses. Right. And McDonald's, yep. if I'm the company, is not going to go build a McDonald's in Decentraland and build a McDonald's in Sandbox and build a McDonald's here and build a McDonald's. Right. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Whereas, like, just trademarking the brand for this application sort of gives them blanket protection until the ecosystem has sorted, sorted itself out. So, so here's a question, more of an existential, like a higher level question. Will, will the brands that are popular kind of IRL slash even in web one, web two, will, will those be the brands that dominate the metaverse you think, or will we see completely new brands? 
I suspect the answer is probably a little bit of both, but where do you fall on that spectrum? Like it's going to be completely new brands native to the metaverse versus like, Hey, if you're McDonald's, you're going to come in and you're going to be the virtual burger shop or, you know, virtual casual restaurant. I keep calling it fast, casual fast food restaurant. I mean, it's a really good question, Jeff. And I think, you know, I'm guessing we agree on this, that there's if you look historically at what happened with web one and web two, and we're talking about this as web three, like if history remains consistent, there will always be like this mixture, right? Some old brands will make the transition successfully, will succeed, will do very well. Uh, some traditional brands will not make the transition and may fall by the wayside and they disappear. And then you will get sort of web three native brands that grew up there, live there, live and breathe that space and exist only there. Um, it's definitely going to be a combination, right? McDonald's trademark or not presence in the metaverse or not is not going anywhere, right? Like if they say we don't care about the metaverse, people are not going to stop eating Big Macs, right? That's just, it's not, they can afford to miss this boat now. And I mean, from a presence standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, that's more questionable. Do I think brands can just sort of close their eyes and say, we don't need to reach this audience? That I think is a, is a bigger mistake. I don't know. Do you, do you agree with that? I, do, you, do you see I it differently? Spot on. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree with that. I actually think it's interesting that you're talking, you kind of right there, just at the end, sort of separated the, the marketing to people in the metaverse versus actually being kind of present in the metaverse. Do you, do you see that as a big distinction or is that just something that popped into your head? It's a, you know, I know I'm going to get comments from people saying it's like purely semantic, but like McDonald's having a presence in the metaverse is a marketing activation, right? Like they're not doing it to sell burgers in the metaverse. They're doing it to, you know, expose yeah. the brand to more people. So it is a little bit of just like us twisting language, but I think I genuinely do believe you're either there for commerce or you're there for marketing, like an exposure. Yeah. Um, and, and for McDonald's, they could probably miss the entire boat on the commerce piece uh, and be fine. I think if they miss the boat entirely on the marketing piece and the exposure piece, that that's where I worry. Yeah. It's almost as simple as you'll have brands that are selling to avatars and brands that are selling to people. Right. So if you're selling stuff in the real world, it's on the people. If you're selling stuff in the metaverse yeah. to be consumed in the metaverse, avatars. Uh, I think that will be an interesting distinction for brands as they enter the metaverse to kind of parse out what their strategy is. Yeah. And, and, you know, because a lot of, as we've seen, there's a lot of crossover too, right? Like Nike can sell a physical good and a digital good. They can sell a good to a real human being and to an avatar. And so that strategy between that sort of, are we doing commerce or are we doing marketing? I think becomes an interesting conversation and seeing where all these brands land. Um, I, I agree. will be interesting to watch. Um, let's talk about, uh, Jeff, let's move on to a game that I think almost everyone listening or watching this show, uh, probably is aware of, and that's grand theft auto and grand theft auto was in the news because their parent company, uh, sort of, made a statement about the NFT opportunity. So the headline here is Grand Theft Auto game publisher highly convinced, and this is in quotes, by NFT opportunity. Take-Two's optimistic view on the opportunity in NFTs also comes with caveats and caution around the crypto sector's 
speculative side. And they have a, a quote from uh, our friend Strauss Zelnick, who, by the way, was on the Business of Esports podcast. If you don't know about the Business of Esports podcast, you should go check out that episode uh, with Strauss Zelnick, who was amazing. Um, but he said, he was quoted in this article, he says, we're highly convinced there's an opportunity for NFTs to fit with Take-Two's offerings in the future. He says, we believe in rare goods. We believe in collectibles. The concern we have is that there's speculation going on. We want to make sure that consumers always have a good experience every time they engage with our properties and losing money on a speculation is not a good experience. So we're going to stay away from speculation. Strauss, easily one of the most well-respected people in all of gaming. Uh, Take-Two has been a very massively successful company, obviously. Jeff, what do you think of Strauss's very concise take here on NFTs and games? Well, I think he's pretty spot. So first of all, you'll never hear me say a bad thing about Strauss. I feel like he he's pretty spot on about about most of the things he gives takes on, um, and obviously a very well respected person in the industry. Uh, I think he's I think he's right here. I mean, it, it's very obvious. Gamers are you know willing to buy digital items. They see value in digital goods, collectibles, scarcity. These are things that are economic certainties. And I think he's right about. The fact that right now the NFT market and the NFT gaming market, there's a ton of speculation. And to his point, speculation is great when you're the person who buys low and sells high, but it's not as great of an experience for the people who buy high and sell low. So I think it's a smart way of saying, hey, there's a lot of froth in the market right now. We see that there's something here, but we're not going to be the ones diving in head first, sticking our neck out and, and kind of ruining the experiences that we've tailored to consumers currently. Um, I, I think it's very similar take to what we saw with EA. I think Strauss maybe said it a little bit more diplomatically and intelligently than, than Andrew Wilson did. And, and, you know, he didn't have to walk back prior comments because I know we had, we had covered um, Andrew Wilson, uh, EA CEO's take on last week's episode. So I, I think he's right here. Um, it is interesting to juxtapose it versus Ubisoft, which I know is, is probably the next thing we're talk, we'll talk about. But I don't know if there's anything more. I mean, I, I agree with Strauss. So I don't, I don't know if I can add even more to that. I, I mean, the question I have for you is, is this... First of all, well, first question. I think you're the one who told me on their earnings call, correct me if I'm wrong, that Strauss didn't make one mention of anything metaverse. I did. In fact, I, I tweeted that actually at Jeff Cohen 23, go give me a follow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I made sure I, 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 you know, did control F on the transcript before I tweeted it just to make sure I wouldn't look like an idiot. Uh, no mention of the <laughs> word metaverse, which was pretty striking versus the last couple of earnings calls that Activision, EA, you know, um, Facebook, obviously, you know, analysts asking people talking about it, no mention of it. I don't know if that is maybe just a signal of where we are in the hype cycle. Uh, I think Facebook's earnings and then subsequent drop, even though it really had nothing to do with metaverse, maybe put a little bit of a damper in the buzzword. I think um, you have a little bit of fatigue from people that are, have jumped in uh, with, with two feet, maybe. Uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you make of that? It was just a well, coincidence. No, because I, I take that and I put it together with this article, right? And I'm going... And then the EA conversation we had last week, and there's sort of this pattern now, it seems to me, of maybe most of these gaming companies really don't have any strategy or any, like, 
any view whatsoever on where this is going and what they should be doing about it. Like what I'm seeing is a lot of very well-constructed sound bites that say a whole lot of nothing. Right? And, and again, I have the ma- most massive respect for Strauss, um, you know, a friend of the podcast. Like I, I think it's, this was just a really, and he is tremendously good at this. Like this was a, an incredibly polite and diplomatic way of saying basically nothing. Right. Because the truth seems to be that almost every single one of these gaming companies and I'll throw even Activision Blizzard in there. Right. That even the ones who gave a lot of lip service to the word metaverse, most of them really don't know what they're doing. And I I don't mean that they, they they're not smart. I mean, most of them have not formulated any kind of strategy around NFTs or the metaverse or how this affects and plays into their business short-term or long-term? Um, on NFT, I think on NFTs, you're absolutely right. Metaverse depends how you define metaverse because you know you could argue some of them are doing a lot of the things you would do for a... Like Grand Theft Auto Online basically created 95% of what I would consider a metaverse five, 10 years ago. So like that, I, I don't know if I would necessarily agree with the NFTs part. I think people got blindsided by it a little bit. I mean... I think NF kind of web three gaming, NFT gaming is really probably less than a year from a year old in terms of coming into the mainstream. Like maybe over this past summer, people really started talking about Axie Infinity and the ability to like play to earn kind of crept into the mainstream consciousness. So in the span of of a you know massive AAA publisher and kind of like how much these guys have going on, that's a pretty short period of time to like that's like one or two board meetings. You know what I mean? Like or quarters like that's that's a very short period of time to formulate an entire kind of strategy and uh, uh, there's something i was thinking when you were talking i'm curious do you equate this like was there a similar thing with esports maybe 10 years ago where the attitude toward from publishers was like we know this is a thing it's interesting we're following it but we don't really know exactly how we're going to be involved what we're going to do but we know it's important and we're there, but we, we, besides that, we don't know what we're doing. Because to me, it kind of feels similar. I, I, I agreed. I think super insightful. And, and I, would, I would extend that to just not just esports, right? Like every fledgling tech-related kind of industry feels like they have a moment like this where everyone recognizes there's something there. I, I guess what bothers me is it's it's a little bit of just the lip service, right? Like the the statements that say nothing. I just I'm a I'm a as the prophet, I'm the truth teller in my mind. I would much rather them, and I know this would never happen, and I know Jeff, the IR guy, would never allow this to happen. But like I'd, I'd love the CEO to come out and be like, "Look, we know this thing's interesting. We have no clue what we want to do with it yet, right? Like, yeah. come back to us in two years, and maybe we'll have a good strategy." <laughs> and and I know that like. <laughs> That, that'll that never happen. Right? You'll never hear that. No. But that would make me happy because I do think that's sort of what's being said here. Just reading between the lines. Yes, that is 100% the translation. Um, oh, what he right, said sounded end... a hell of a lot better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way Strauss said it did sound a hell of a lot better. Um, I want to end here on two stories. I want to put them together. And I just think indicative of, again, uh, the massive opportunity that's being presented in this space right now. The first one here, Gala Games to expand NFT offerings with $5 billion. 
It says here in the article, since its launch in 2019, Gala Games has been growing steadily. The platform has 1.3 million monthly active users, has sold 26,000 NFTs. Um, the firm in this $5 billion, in the $5 billion they're going to assign here to these expansion efforts, $2 billion is going to be on gaming, $1 billion on music, $1 billion on movies, and the remaining $1 billion on the Gala theme park NFTs. Aside from the $2 billion budgeted for gaming, the firm also launched a $100 million gaming fund with C2 Ventures, and they're going to invest in new blockchain games. So I just want to park that for a second. Uh, by the way, Snoop Dogg's going I mean, to release an album. We could do a whole episode on this story. This like <laughs> we could probably so have done meat. the whole episode. Agreed. So much meat but on then the there was here. another story, which, you know, had we not read that one first, would have just also been eye-watering. And this one is Sequoia makes a big bet on Web3, leading $450 million investment in Polygon blockchain. Um, and for those who don't know, Polygon's a blockchain network that serves as a support layer to Ethereum. It says here Polygon wants to become a decentralized version of Amazon Web Services. Uh, and obviously it has attracted here Sequoia, maybe one of the, other than Andreessen Horowitz, those two are maybe the biggest names in all of venture capital. And so Polygon raising 450 million. Jeff, maybe just your general thoughts on both of these stories. Uh, I don't know if you want to start with the gala. Yeah, or can you put the gala? Or... I mean, the Sequoia, the, the Polygon one is interesting. I mean, they're doing great. I mean, they just hired Ryan Wyatt to kind of run their gaming, um, Polygon gaming business. It's pretty similar how they're trying, both these companies are trying to attract um, games to be built on top of their platform. The gala one I thought was a more interesting article because there was just a little more numbers. The one thing, the first thing that kind of sticks out to me is just, the amount of money flowing into this, the fact that it's one billion, not one million, one billion with a B is going to be invested into Gala theme park NFTs. Yeah. That is a mind-blowing amount of I don't even know what a Gala theme park NFT is, but I want to go start a company that builds them because <laughs> there's a billion dollars being funded on these things. That that's mind-blowing. Um, and I think I, I I tweeted this saying, like, with Two, with this much capital flowing into kind of the Web3 gaming space, you are bound to see a few mainstream hits in the next, call it 18 months. Um, the knock that we've come back to time and time again with Web3 gaming and blockchain gaming is the games aren't fun. And that has largely been true so far. With this much money coming into the space, someone's going to build a fun, good game where you're going to see a game that goes mainstream and blows up way, way on a way bigger scale than, than Axie currently. The second number that strikes me and terrifies me a little bit when I'm thinking about this is if you scroll up a little bit for people watching, it said 1.3 million, now this time million with an M, monthly yeah. active users on the platform. Yeah, That is really, really, really low. If you think about the current you know, smartphone addressable market, there's like 7 billion people with a smartphone and the amount of money that's being invested into mobile games right now is probably less than $5 billion in a, in a, in a year. Maybe that, that's a little bit off, but the point is there's a ton of money chasing a market that currently just isn't that large. And I think we all are very bullish on it and believe that the addressable market will dramatically expand but right now, this is a really, really, really niche market. And 
there's going to be a lot of capital that's burned chasing chasing this because not every project can work. But the total billion, addressable uh, market, know. is it really that different here? I get they only have 1.3 million monthly active users today, but is Gala Games' total addressable market any different than Zynga's total addressable market or King's total addressable market? Like, And I, I go back to your first point, which is, you know, one day we're going to make a good game or or it will it, the 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 industry is going to prove one of my a thesis I have, which is the as a function of being a a blockchain based game, they're fundamentally just glorified pyramid schemes. And that means you have to make a game that allows for a pyramid scheme and therefore the game may never be games may never be good. Right. Like. Yeah, I would love for you to be right here, Jeff, and that it's just a matter of someone being a little bit more creative that gets a game to, you know, a billion users and, you know, wow, kind of longevity and success. And and then it's it just so happens to be a blockchain based game. And maybe Gala Games, this is where that two billion dollars of investment in gaming goes. I don't know. Right. To solve those problems. But I'm a, I'm a bit of a skeptic here also. I just, I, where I'm not a skeptic is I think the total addressable market's no different, right? Well, anyone so who plays a, a mobile question. game I, I today. Think, so I think you're right in terms of the total addressable market. If you define it as gamers, then yes. But the question is, do you define the addressable market as anyone who theoretically could go play a game on this or anyone who's on the platform currently? Because if I, if I were to ask you, if you were a Roblox developer, what is your addressable market? Would you say, well, there's you know, 12 billion people on the earth, so technically they all could play Roblox games. Or would you say, well, Roblox has 50 million DAUs. That's what the addressable market is. I mean, that's different. You see my point? Gala, because yeah, I see your point, but Gala here actually develops games, right? They're not, they're not necessarily just a platform for other people to develop games, right? So to me, the 1.3 million is across all the games that they've produced and distributed. I think it's it's not unreasonable to define the total addressable market for Gala Games as whatever the total addressable market is for mobile gaming, right? Like because any if, maybe, if they're all mobile games fundamentally, you know the the fact that they're blockchain based games in the background and you need a crypto wallet when you sign up doesn't to me fair. change really the total addressable market that drastically. So I think it's an interesting point that the number is low, but obviously the, the billions that are being spent is because they think this essentially consumes mobile gaming. That's, that's my yeah. guess, right? That has to be part of the thesis here. Yeah. And, and, I, I, and I would argue with Paul, with the polygon story, that's gotta be part of Sequoia's thesis as well, right? That whatever people are going to build on polygon has a total addressable market that is far beyond the narrow scope of web three as it stands today or crypto as it stands today. Now, yeah. the person they chose to go to go help manage that, that's a different, that's a different issue. Um, but, but this is, you know, to me, this is two totally different plays, right? Polygon's an infrastructure play. Gala is much, much more B2C um, where I'm amazed with Gala, frankly, and, and I'm, I surp- I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't, jump on this because i thought you'd be bothered by this is like the billion dollars on music and the billion dollars on movies when you're fundamentally a, a sort of you're i mean you're called gala games you're a gaming company um 
they clearly see synergy for you. You know, I can't take all the, I can't take all the good, the good juicings. (laughs) Um, But you know, maybe their gala games is just, there's a learning here that maybe every game developer should be opening their eyes to, right? Like maybe Activision Blizzard should have a, uh, a, a, an equal, like a, a, a proportionally large budget for, for music and movies based on their IP in the same way Gala Games has allocated, you know, 40% of this $5 billion to those two things, um, I think is interesting. So maybe they're just ahead of the curve. And, and, it, and if the blockchain-based games are leading the way in some of these things, that to me makes me, makes me less skeptical at the very least, right? Jeff, like, because we, we complain all the time, Activision Blizzard should be making movies and TV shows. And now you've got a blockchain-based gaming company that budgets $2 billion for this stuff. I, I think it would be hypocritical if we didn't applaud it and say, you know, good job. Or at least 100%. nice, good, good for you to try. No, uh, no arguments for me here. Um, that brings us, Jeff, to the end of the podcast. I feel like that flew by. Um, for those of you who are enjoying it, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get the podcast, leave a review, helps other people to find the podcast, share it with your friends. We really appreciate it. Uh, Of course, um, we appreciate you listening, watching, but we want to grow it as big as possible. Jeff, thank you as always. And uh, we will see all of you guys next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.